Father, that is the cry of our heart this morning. Lord, we depend on you. Every moment of every day, for every breath that we draw, for every word that we speak, every word that we sing, Lord, we depend on you. And Father, this morning we, we renounce our independence. And would you remove from us, take from us anything that's keeping us from throwing all of ourselves into you. Lord, we depend on you. We need you. I need you. So Father, for the brother or sister coming in this room today who is tired, who is weary, who is wrestling with their faith, who is struggling with doubts, they hear the voice of your son, Jesus, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and help them to find rest in their savior today. I pray for every person in this room who carries in here today burdens of anxiety and depression and fear and guilt and shame. That even as we pray this morning and as we look at your word, they would find hope and grace and freedom and mercy and redemption. Lord, I lift up brothers and sisters in this room who are walking through difficult situations at work, difficult situations at home, difficult circumstances with family. Lord, as we look at our world, we continue to be grieved and broken over the devastation we see globally. Lord, we are particularly grieved by what continues to unfold even this morning in Israel and in Gaza. Father, we continue as a church to actively pray against the outpouring of anti-Semitic hatred that has become evident in our culture recently. God, we pray for the protection of innocent civilians who are trapped in the middle of an extremely hostile conflict. We continue to pray for the global church, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who live on both sides of this border, who today are simply trying to do what we're doing here, which is to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And Lord, we look at this devastation and we just continue to long for the day when it will be no more. God, we set our eyes on the day of your coming and we plead with you, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And as we wait for you, as we depend on you, as we rely on you, will you give us grace? Will you give us courage? Will you give us resolve? Will you guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, will you help us to guard our words, to be bold in proclaiming the gospel and gracious in how we apply its truth? So Father, today help us not just to surrender our words to you, but to surrender our lives to you. Will you speak to us this morning words that both edify your church and bring glory to your name? Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts this morning. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. James chapter 3 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. If you're our guest, my name's Taylor. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And what our church family's been doing through the fall is we've been walking verse by verse 
through the book of James. So again, as Blaine mentioned earlier, if you don't have a Bible, um, there should be one underneath a seat near you somewhere, um, or these words will be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. That's our gift to you today and hope that that is an encouragement to you. Um, but before we jump into the message this morning, a couple things I want to highlight really briefly that I think are important for all of our awareness. Um, as you've noticed the last couple Sundays, Grayson Johnston, who's our worship pastor, has not been the one who's leading us. And it's because um, Grayson is, uh, as a member of our staff, um, he has been eligible for some time off here. Um, church staff tenures in the United States are extremely low. And so when our staff stick around and they hit that five-year mark, which for Grayson was two years ago, um, they are eligible for a month off. We relieve them of their responsibilities and their duties and let them go uh, re restore uh, themselves physically, spiritually. And, and so I, I just want to be able to say publicly at the beginning of our time of worship this morning, thank you so much to Blake and to Russell and to Natalie, the whole team that's been leading us the last couple of weeks. They're going to lead us for two more Sundays. And would you join me in thanking them um, this morning? morning for their leadership while, uh, while Grayson's away. So pray for Grayson, pray that he finds rest, ignore his text messages uh, when he asks you about how stuff is going here. We want him to fully disconnect uh, and, and recover here for a few weeks. Um, another exciting staff update we wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, many of you are aware our student minister, Cole Forrest, and his wife, Ashton, have been expecting a baby girl. So uh, this morning at 3.27 a.m., uh, Adley Cole Forrest, yeah, <laughs> clocked in. <clears throat> Adley Cole Forrest, Cole with a K, um, 3.27 a.m., 6 pounds, 12 ounces, 21 inches. Uh, as far as we're aware, mom and baby doing well. Um, I know many of us were praying and very concerned about this. Uh, she looks like her mom, and that's just God's grace. We're so grateful. I know we were deeply concerned about that, and so um, that's an answer to prayer. And, um, which means, that uh, segue into the third thing real quick, our Cross Kids ministry has grown yet again, and uh, we're excited about that. We are a church uh, that is about causing his name to be remembered in how many generations? In all generations. And so as, uh, through the month of November, we are driving forward our Cross Kids ministry. Big transition year for our church. Um, we've had a lot of key families and key leadership positions, uh, military families in particular who have moved on. Had a little bit of a deficit in the Cross Kids area, particularly at the 11:30 hour and the 8 a.m. hour. Uh, by January, we're working towards adding full Cross Kids, including elementary, at the 8 a.m. hour. And so we've already seen several people step up and say yes. Like I want to help serve this need, and we want to continue challenging you. This has gone out via email the last um, couple of weeks. There's an opportunity. There's a calling before you right now. A sacred stewardship that the Lord has given us to cause His name to be remembered in all generations. And we just want to challenge you to rise up and meet that need. So you can respond to the emails that have gone out the last couple of weeks. You can stop by the Next Steps table before you leave. Connect with our Cross Kids team uh, today before you go. And we just thank you in advance um, for helping us reach our kids with the gospel message. We're going to turn our attention to James this morning. And as um, Blaine mentioned earlier, this message series is titled Count It All Joy. Those are some of the first words of the book of James. But as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, and especially as we're going to see this morning, uh, there are some texts of scripture that are a little easier to count as joy than others. Uh, James gives us a pretty stout challenge this morning. Back in 2020 in San Bernardino, California, there was a couple 
that wanted to uh, celebrate the coming of their newborn with a gender reveal party. Um, this has become more and more of a thing over the last decade. Feels like every single year these parties get a little bit bigger and a little bit more dangerous. And so um, they wanted to celebrate their gender reveal by setting off a smoke bomb. And so it was gonna be you know, pink dust for a girl, it was gonna be blue dust for a boy. Seems like a pretty innocent, harmless thing. But they set this thing off with this pyrotechnic device so that when the bomb went off, it didn't just reveal the gender of their child, it started a forest fire that went on to destroy over 20,000 acres. In the course of this fire, there were five homes that were destroyed. There were 15 buildings that were completely destroyed. There was one firefighter who lost his life uh, trying to combat the blaze. And after all was said and done, that this couple has been charged with over 30 different crimes, including one count of involuntary manslaughter. Forest fires, when they get going, they just run out of control. Um, they can burn upwards of 2,000 degrees, which is roughly about one-fifth the temperature of the sun. So it was a very innocent activity that resulted in very devastating consequences. I've titled this message this morning, The World's Hottest Fire. Because in James chapter 3, James tells us that the tongue is a fire. The tongue can be used to bring warmth and comfort like a fire, or it can also be used to bring about de destruction and death. Last week, we saw at the end of James chapter two that faith without works is dead. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But true saving faith in Jesus Christ results in a life of obedience and good works according to God's word. And one of the clearest evidences that we do have true saving faith in Jesus Christ, that we truly are servants of Jesus Christ who are completely submitted to his authority in our lives, is that the Lord has taken control of our mouths and we have self-control over the things that we say. James warns us today, the tongue is a fire. It's a fire. And our tongues will burn as an unquenchable fire until we come to Jesus Christ in unconditional surrender. The world's hottest fire is not one that burns down 20,000 acres in a forest. The world's hottest fire is the one that exists inside of our mouths. And until we have fully submitted ourselves to the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives, our tongue will burn as an uncontrollable fire that can cause unimaginable devastation and destruction in our lives. So from James chapter three, I wanna read again verses one through five. So James gives us some warnings this morning. He says, verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. And we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James shows us first in this passage this morning that the tongue may be a small part of the body, but it can cause big, big problems in our lives. 
It may be a small part of the body, but it can cause big problems in our lives. You know, I've uh, had many preaching professors, and I've heard many different people say this in, in a number of different ways, that a sermon without illustrations is kind of like a house without windows. And that's really why I, part of why I love the book of James, because James gives us so much rich imagery, so many illustrations that really accentuates and shed light on the truth of the text in such a way uh, that we can clearly understand what it is that he's saying. And so James gives us two two very rich illustrations to, to make the point that he shows us here in verses 1 through 12. Gives the example of a horse and of a ship. You know, a horse can weigh over a thousand pounds, and yet we can guide it with a sugar cube that weighs less than five grams. In the same way, a fully loaded aircraft carrier can weigh over a hundred thousand tons, but it can be guided by a couple of rudders that collectively weigh about a hundred thousand pounds. And so in the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body. It's one of the smallest parts of our body, but it's powerful enough to shape the trajectory of our entire lives. That's why James says it boasts great things. So we can't be careless with our words because every word we speak carries significant weight and it comes with eternal consequences. And so what we see in in these first five verses, there is something that impacts every single person who has ever walked the face of the planet. The first thing James shows us in verse one is that this passage of scripture is a warning for every teacher. This is a warning for every teacher. So man, uh, this morning I gotta turn this way and I gotta, I gotta preach to me is, is the first step here. Th- this is the type of passage, you know, I wake up this morning and just feels like I just need an extra cup of coffee today. Because this one hits heavy for me. He says in verse one, very explicitly, not many of you should become teachers for we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So as a guy who stands in front of a lot of people and does that every single week, I take this passage very seriously. It's, it's one that, that hits me at a very, very deep personal level. From the earliest days of the church, there's been the threat of false teachers who are driven by pride and selfish motives who have tried to lead God's people away from the truth. And what James just showed every single person who's in any type of teaching position is that we're going to be judged at a higher standard with more strictness than anyone else. But listen, this, this doesn't just apply to me. This doesn't just apply to, to pastors, doesn't just apply to elders. This applies to those of us who are community group leaders and Bible study leaders. This applies to those who are teaching our students on Wednesday night. This applies to those who are teaching back in our kids' ministry. This applies to every single parent who's doing their best to teach and disciple their own children in their home. Any person who has any kind of platform where they wield influence over the thinking and the hearts and the mind of the children of God, we are going to be held to a higher standard than everybody else is held on the day of judgment. So these are words that we should take very, very seriously as followers of Jesus. You know, like every previous generation, our generation today is plagued by the threat of false teachers. Just like during the time of James, there are those who are motivated by pride. Their motivation for teaching, their motivation for preaching is simply that they want some type of platform. Some are driven by money and by materialism. The Bible calls them hirelings. Um, They're just in it for the paycheck and they're not really concerned about leading people faithfully. Some are motivated by their own sin. They personally want to live a life of sin that contradicts the truth of God's word. And so when you want to do that and you're a teacher, what you have to do is twist and manipulate the Bible to make it say what you want it to say, to make it seem like the Bible supports the way you want to live. 
Some today have fallen by attempting to syncretize the Christian faith with the ideologies and the belief systems of this world. And church, we need to take heed the warning of James this morning. The Lord's not missing any of that. He sees it all. And every single person who's in any type of teaching position, any type of spiritual authority position, we're going to be held to a higher standard than everybody else. Church, please do not miss this this morning. When God gave his word to mankind, he did not give us a rough draft with editorial freedom. He has spoken once and for all, for all generation of believers, his truth for mankind. And it is not a small thing to tamper with the truth of the word of God. Jesus warns us in Matthew's gospel account that those who are in teaching positions, if they lead any of God's children to wander into sin, Jesus says for that person, it would be better if a millstone was tied around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's Jesus giving us this warning. So this passage is a warning for every single teacher. We need to be sobered by the reminder we will be judged with greater strictness than everybody else. But this isn't just for teachers. This is for every single believer in Jesus Christ. So second, what James shows us in verses two through five is that the tongue is a struggle for every single person. This is a struggle for every single person. Verse two, James says, for we all, everybody say all. That means all of us. No, no perfect people allowed in the church, amen? And none of us here. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So a little bit of a pun intended here. James is saying this in verse two, really tongue in cheek. He, he's saying like, if you've never stumbled with your tongue, like you've never had a slip of the tongue, well then the only logical explanation is that you're a perfect person. But here's the problem with that. There's no perfect people which means that every single one of us at some point in time have had a slip of the tongue. But a slip of the tongue, it's not just a problem that we speak on the outside. A slip of the tongue actually begins with our hearts on the inside. I want you to turn with me in your Bible uh, back to Mark's gospel account. Uh, Mark chapter seven. I'm gonna read verses 20 through 23 here in just a moment. <clears throat> and I'll read this because what Jesus shows us in Mark chapter seven is the source of all sinful speech. He gets to the root cause of all of our cursing and our gossiping and our slandering and our divisive behavior. It's not just about what's happening on the outside, it's about what's happening on the inside. So Mark chapter seven, let me read verses 20 through 23. And Jesus said to them, what comes out of a person what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, everybody say within. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, listen, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from where? They come from within. And they defile a person. Church, understand, sin is not just an action of our body, it's the condition of our hearts. What, what is happening on the outside can oftentimes be evidence of what's going on on the inside. And so you encounter a person with an out-of-control mouth, that is evidence of an out-of-control heart. The, the person who always just has to say something, I, I just couldn't help myself, then you're not being controlled by the Spirit. Because what's the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. 
So when our speech is, is marked by gossip, by slander, by divisiveness, by backbiting, by throwing people under the bus, when we do these things, when our mouths are out of control, it's evidence that our hearts are out of control and that we're not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. This is a struggle for every single person. We have to get beneath the surface and attack the source. Um, I like to work out in my yard a lot. I had a landscaping job in college, and that's just kind of carried with me, and stuff that my dad uh, worked with me on a lot when I was growing up. And so I've, I've reached that stage of my life in my mid-30s. My activity every morning with my second cup of coffee, once the sun has come up, is I uh, walk around my house in my PJs, and I inspect my yard. And <clears throat> excuse me, my arch nemesis right now in the fall of 2023 are moles. Yes, and, and some of you are, are empathizing with that. And so I'm, I'm every single morning, like I'm just playing whack-a-mole in my yard, right? I'm going through and you see the mole tracks and stuff. And here's the thing, like I'm pretty handy with the yard. I, I know when that mole trap pops up, I know how to fix that. I know how to repair that. I know how to make my yard look good again, but here's the issue. Until I deal with the mole beneath the surface, those traps and those tracks are just gonna keep popping up. Eventually, I've got to kill the mole. Eventually, I've got to get beneath the surface. I've got to get to the root cause of what's going on. I can, I can tamper down the ground all that I want. I can push the dirt back down. I can replant grass. I can, I can tie things together. I can rake it all up. I can do all those things externally. But if I never deal with the problem beneath the surface, the mole tracks are just going to keep popping up. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's learning to get your mouth under control. It's not just about managing your words. You have to surrender your heart a mouth that is constantly open and speaking sinful things is evidence of a heart that is still under the authority of sin. We have to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18, 21 reminds us of, of the power of the tongue. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The tongue is a small part of your body, but it can cause big, big problems in your life. If you use it to speak lies and to curse others, you will find death. But if you use it to bless the Lord and to speak truth, you will find life. James goes on to show us this in verses 6 through 12. More vivid imagery here. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. Listen to how James describes the tongue. Very visceral language here. He says, it is a world of unrighteousness. Literally like its own personal private universe of unrighteousness. The tongue is set apart among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James shows us this morning, warns us, the tongue may be a small part of the body, but it can cause big problems in our lives. And second, he shows us in verses 6 through 12, the tongue can be used to bless the Lord or the tongue can be used to curse others. And you could probably just add to that dot, 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 but never both at the same time. 
We can use our tongues to bless the Lord, or we can use our tongues to curse others. Now, like the, the, the cannon that, that shot off the smoke bomb and the gender reveal party, it, it even takes less than that to cause a forest fire. It can only take one match lit in the right place that can burn an entire forest to the ground. And James shows us here in the same way, your tongue is a match. Your tongue is a fire. And if you are not careful about what you say and how you say it, it will burn your whole life to the ground. You will destroy every relationship. You're constantly gonna have to have a new job. You're not gonna get along with your family. You're not gonna get along in your church. You're not gonna get along in your community. Conflict is gonna follow you everywhere you go if you don't learn to get your mouth under control. He calls it a world of righteousness. It is a world of unrighteousness. It's like a ketchup stain on a white suit. No matter how small or insignificant it seems, it's something that just sticks out like a sore thumb. He said it will set your entire life on fire, and it's a fire that starts in the pit of hell. You know, in recent days especially, we have really seen in our culture just the power of the tongue and just visceral hate speech, um, particularly as it has related to the events unfolding in Israel and, and Gaza. And, and again, we uh, spent several minutes at the beginning of one of our services a couple weeks ago, right? I briefly addressed this, but church, I, I just want to make sure this stays like on our radar right now. You know, the, the normalization and what, what's become acceptable and tolerated in our culture when it comes to anti-Semitic hate speech against the Jewish people. And, and listen, I, I know where some of your minds are to go in this morning. You hear that, and you're like, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about that? And these whataboutism games is, is why that anti-Semitism exists to begin with. I think the Jewish people might be the only group on the planet that can suffer a terrorist attack with the impact of about 10 9-11s, and there'd be a whole bunch of elite, high-minded people respond by saying, well, they probably did something to deserve it. These words burn to the ground, when you see students, it, it, where it scores, minds are just being poisoned and brainwashed in the name of love and justice and, and standing up for the little guy to, to walk around, run around chanting things like from the river to the sea. A statement that has roots in wiping Jewish people off the face of the planet. Everywhere the Jewish people have ever gone, there has been a group of people that wants to destroy them. And we can be so careless in what we find ourselves supporting. It should be able to, we, we should not have to play these whataboutism games. It should be perfectly acceptable to just say anti-Semitic anti hate speech should be completely, in, like there should be no tolerance for this whatsoever. That, that should be a completely non-controversial statement. If we have to make 100,000 qualifiers before we make that statement, man, our hearts are in a really bad place. We as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to look at wickedness and evil in this world and say full stop, that is wicked and that is evil without saying, what about this, to everything. Our words are burning to the ground. Man, the students that are marching and participating in this, the next generation will look on them with the same disdain that we look at the Nazis. This is gonna follow them for the rest of their lives. It's gonna follow them for the rest of their lives. We have to be so, so careful. We cannot use the mouths that the Lord has given us to bless him to curse others who have been made in his image. We cannot use our mouths for blessing and cursing at the same at the same time, James warns us here that apart from the lordship of Jesus Christ, you and I have a natural fluency in the language of demons. Apart from the lordship of Jesus Christ, when we speak words of gossip, of slander, and division, when we carry words of gossip, slander, and division, you and I carry within our mouths the Olympic torch of hell. 
except we're not going to kick off the games. We're burning the whole world to the ground. It's a wildfire burning completely out of control. And James shows us here in verses six through eight, we can't handle this by ourselves. He says in verse six, we cannot tame the tongue on our own. Can't do it on our own. Shows in verse seven, like, man, wild animals can be tamed. Lions can be tamed. Wolves can be tamed. Raccoons, for goodness sake, have been tamed. Even a venomous snake like a cobra can be charmed with the music of a pipe. But James shows us your tongue can't be tamed. You, you can tame a venomous snake, but you can't tame venomous speech. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And this is the irony of ironies is that very often the very same mouth we use to sing praises to the Lord is the very same mouth we will use to gossip, slander, and speak words of division about others. And James says this shouldn't be so. Church, we, we quickly forget that every single person we encounter, every single person we talk about is an individual who has been made in the image of God. They've been made in the image of God. I heard a pastor once say that gossip is like pornography of the mouth. Because what, what we're doing in that moment is we are getting an emotional rush at the expense of another human being's objectification. And there can be no tolerance for this among followers of Jesus Christ. James shows us that in verses 9 through 12. We cannot tame the tongue on our own. More than that, we cannot tolerate its corrupting power in our lives. We can't tolerate its existence in our lives. This can't be so. The same tongue we use to bless cannot be the same tongue that we use to curse. And so once again, James illustrates the incompatibility of a tongue that's used to both bless and curse. Here's how he describes it. He says, fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring. Fig trees don't produce olives. Grapevines don't produce figs. Don't fill your cup with water in the ocean. Like, like you can't do these things. That's not fresh water. In the same way, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ with one tongue, bless the Lord, and kind of have a different tongue that you use to curse others. It either all belongs to him or none of it belongs to him. We can't use our tongues to bless and simultaneously use our tongues to curse. So we can't tolerate its power in our lives. And I think, especially among followers of Jesus Christ and in the Bible Belt South, what we constantly have to be uh, on guard against, man, gossip has to be the most acceptable sin among followers of Jesus. I mean, again, go back to Mark chapter 7. Jesus, we, we look at that kind of, you know, as one of the, the little sins. It's like, hey, as long as I'm not doing the big ones, I, I can still participate in the little ones, and Jesus is just totally cool with that. Jesus shows us all of these things, whether, whether it's sexual sin or slander, it comes from the same corrupt heart. But we can't play these games. We can't create this hierarchy of sin where it's like, well, as long as I'm not doing that, the Lord's okay if I'm doing this. But we can't tolerate this in our lives. And listen, rightly so in our culture today, um, that there's a lot that's being written about abuses of authority in the church. There's a lot of churches men that are breaking over things like embezzlement and uh, adultery and scandals and abuse of power and all these things. And we, we rightly need to identify that. We need to correct that. We need to move on from these things. But anecdotally, on a personal level, I, I could argue and show you on paper, uh, there are far more churches that are destroyed by the private whispers of the members than by the public sins of the leaders. That that is the most acceptable sin among followers of Jesus Christ today. Gossip is the great relational cancer of the church in all of its forms. All of the whispers and the secretive talk, the things that we mask as prayer requests. The Lord sees our hearts. 
He knows our motives. He knows our desires. It's the great relational cancer of the church, and the only way to get rid of cancer is to cut it out and to apply the radiation of God's word. We cannot call this acceptable. If you want to go back to Proverbs chapter 6 for just a moment, I want to read from Proverbs 6 just how seriously this shows us that the Lord takes our words, that he takes our speech, and why we can't be passive about this, why we can't tolerate this. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. That's strong language, right? We talk about what God loves a lot. When's the last time we talked about what God hates? There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now listen to this list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and listen, one who sows discord among brothers. Did you catch all that? Among the seven things listed that the Lord calls abominations, three of them have to do with the way we talk. He mentions lying twice on the same list. And then beyond that, it's one who sows discord among the brothers, one who is always causing division among brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The one who always seems to be involved in the secretive whispers and the frustrations and the gossip and the slandering and the subtle throwing under the bus and questioning motives. Listen, this is what you learn about people. It's, I'm not the first person to say this, but my goodness, when, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Like if conflict just follows a person everywhere they go, that's someone scripture tells us we need to be very much on guard against. Because typically when there's smoke, there's fire and the tongue is a fire. It constantly sets the world around it ablaze, and we have to be so careful in the way we use our words. Now, I want to take a slightly different angle here for just a second, because I think it's a really important one for us. James doesn't explicitly address this, but I do think it's something we need to touch base on briefly. I was with a group of pastors up in the Rock Hill, Lake Wiley uh, area this past week, and we were coming together to talk about some church planting strategy for our state and working together. And just through a series of conversations, we actually landed in James chapter three and the importance of, of you know, man, let not many of you become teachers and the tongue being a fire. And one of the guys that we were with, he asked a really thought-provoking question. He said, man, I, I hear all that. Like, we, we've got to be careful with what we say. We've got to be careful about how we say it. We have to recognize that our words have weight, that they carry eternal significance. We have to be careful how we use them. But he asked this question. He said, but how do we look at a passage like James chapter 3 in a culture that is not only easy to offend, but is actually looking to be offended? hey oh, That's a good question. Because it'd be very, very easy for someone to point to a text like James chapter 3 to use against you when maybe you haven't actually done anything wrong. And, and listen, this is true in every relationship that you're in. This is true in your workplace. This is true in your family. Uh, this is true for, for every relational encounter that you have. We, we've got to be sensitive to this. We need to be discerning of this as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that, yes, while we need to be careful with what we say, be careful with how we say it, just because a person feels offended, follow me here, just because a person feels offended does not necessarily mean that an offense has actually been committed. Got to be really, really careful with this. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to learn to walk and chew gum at the same time. 
We've got to be sensitive to this because if we're not, this, this, is what, this is what we'll want, find ourselves doing. You know, the world defines love and speaks of love as if we should never, ever, ever make someone feel uncomfortable in any capacity whatsoever. That is not how God's word speaks of love. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Let me give you a simple working definition here. Speaking the truth in love means speaking the truth of God's word to a person without insulting the image of God in that person. Speaking the truth of love in love means speaking the truth of God's word to a person without insulting God's image in that person. And here's where you gotta be careful is that there's gonna be some in this world today that no matter what you say, no matter how you say it, the accusation is still going to be, you hurt me, you harmed me, I'm not safe. And this is where we as followers of Jesus, we have to do honest examination before the Lord and ask ourselves, have I spoken the truth? Have I declared what God's word calls me to declare? Did I do anything to insult, degrade, or belittle this person? If that answer is no, friend, you need to stand justified before the Lord and continue being confident speaking the truth of his word. Yes, the tongue is a fire. Yes, we have to be careful with what we say. Yes, we'll be accountable for what we say and how we say it. But we also can't find ourselves cowering to an easily offended world in the name of not wanting to offend. Just because an offense is felt just does not necessarily mean an offense was caused. We have to be careful with our words. Our words impact our public witness in insignificant ways. I, stared, I shared this story this past summer, and I, I was going to share something different this morning, but I just felt like it was still so appropriate because this was a local thing and, and happened recently where um, I was eating at a restaurant once. And uh, as appropriate, you know, when I'm eating publicly, I'll try to engage the waiter, the waitress, and talk about their life a little bit, and they're, you know, hopefully bridge the conversation to their faith background and to church. And so we, we went down that road a little bit, and I just asked this particular waitress, I was like, hey, um, I was like, are you connected to a church anywhere? Do you have any kind of faith? background. And she said, uh, she said, no, that's not really my thing. And I just, I kind of jokingly just, just remarked and said, is it the Sunday crowd? And, and she responded, she goes, uh, actually, yeah, it is. And, and she goes on to basically say, she was like, you know, I hear how Christians come in this room and talk about each other and talk about the churches they attend. And I just think to myself, why would I want to be a part of that? Tongues of fire, y'all. It can cause warmth, it can bring life, or it can burn everything to the ground. How are we using our tongues? If we're not to use them for gossip, if we're not to use them for divisive, secretive talk, if we're not to use them for the, the whispers of, of slander, if we're not to use our tongues for those things, how should we use our tongues? We'll go to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment as we begin to close. This is what Paul says in Ephesians four twenty nine. He says, let no corrupting talk. How much corrupting talk? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? as God in Christ forgave you. That's what talking to one another in the church should look like. That, that's what talking about one another as brothers and sisters in Christ should look like. 
This is the type of speech that glorifies God. So as we close out this morning, I want to give us, again, James is a very, very practical book. James is a, has a very heavy due emphasis, and so it's been important to us every single week of this message series that we walk out of this room with very clear steps of, these are some things I need to do. On the authority of God's word, these are some steps that I need um, to take. I've always loved these words from Leonard Ravenhill. He said, notice, we never pray for folks we gossip about, and we never gossip about folks we pray about. Church, let's make sure we get that equation right. Let's make sure we get that equation right. So there's like one step right there, but let me give us just four very simple, very quick, practical handles on bringing our mouths under the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ. First point of response is really a point of accountability. Uh, this, is, this is kind of like a, like a, a built-in you know, WWJD bracelet, but I mean, just remember this. Remember that the Lord hears every conversation that you have. There is no hushed tone or whisper we can speak in that the omnipotent God of the universe who created your ears is not capable of hearing. And Jesus reminds us, warns us in the Gospels, we will give account for every idle word we speak. We might miss some words, but the Lord never does. He hears it all. He sees it all. We have built-in accountability into our lives. You might think you're speaking secretly to your friend. No, you are speaking publicly before God. And he hears these things, which means you and I as followers of Jesus, we should have a zero. Everybody say zero. Zero tolerance. Zero tolerance for gossip, slander, and divisive speech. I'll take that a step further and say, man, if you're a Christian employer in this room and you are employing other followers of Jesus Christ in particular, man, I would encourage you implement this into your staff culture. Make sure that you have a baseline in place that shows us, hey, that is not how we're going to operate together here uh, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you are followers of Jesus Christ, and this is not the way that we should be interacting with each other as individuals, which means beyond that, beyond just guarding our own speech, this is also something we have to pay attention to. Don't be a safe place for someone else's sin. Don't be a safe place for someone else's sin. Here's what I mean by that. I know some of us get in this place, you're at work, where you're like, well, I didn't really go looking for it. It always just kind of seems to come to me. So ask yourself, why does it keep coming to you? Why does it keep coming to you? If you're a fire extinguisher, it will stop coming to you. But if you're like an ember off to the side, it's just going to make the fire bigger. And so listen, just, just learning to, as, as someone brings something to you, you can be a good listener and just responding and saying, listen, I hear you, I love you, but this is not productive. This is not helpful. You need to go meet with this person individually. You guys need to work this out together. I'm not gonna be a safe place for you to throw other people under the bus. We have to be willing to do this as followers of Jesus. I love this from Proverbs 26. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Are you the person that is scattering all of the logs so that the fire dies, or are you the person who's adding more logs to the fire? Don't be a safe place for someone else's sin. But ultimately, church, where all of this starts for us is for our hearts. It's not just about what we manage on the outside. It's about whether or not we surrender on the inside. Because fundamentally, if you struggle with the use of your mouth, your primary issue is not an issue of your words. It's primarily an issue of your worship. And so we surrender our mouths to Jesus by surrendering our lives to Jesus, by giving him our whole heart, because that's where all this begins. Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? The evidence that you have, one of the evidences that you have, 
is that your mouth is under the control of his Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we do not use the mouths we use to praise the Lord publicly, to speak ill of each other privately. Have you surrendered not just your mouth, have you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? And is he in control of everything that you say? You bow your heads with me as we close out our time together this morning. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And um, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate in that this morning. And if you want to go ahead and begin preparing those elements, there is a communion cup in the chair in front of you. Or if you're on the front row or the back row, this might be underneath you. And as we prepare these elements and as we remember what Jesus has done for us, Examine yourself and just ask the Lord, have, have I given all of myself over to you? Is, is he in control of every area of your life, not just what you do, but also what you say and how you say it? Where have you fallen short in this? Where do you need to bring your mouth under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that we are not trying to be people who bless and curse at the same time? So Father, will you help us to see where we have fallen short, where we have failed to uphold your holy, righteous standard, where we use the mouths you have given us to bless instead to curse. And would the testimony of our lives be not just that we have surrendered our mouths to you, but we have surrendered our hearts to you, that the watching world would see something that's beautiful and attractive as a community of people use their mouths not to break each other down, but to build each other up not to slander one another, but to sing your praise and to declare your good news. Father, make us those people. Move in our hearts, move in our lives, move in power on us today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.